Hi Lifehouse, so happy to have you here joining us this morning. My name is Jacob and we are currently in the middle of our Love Handles series, which is a four week series on love. Get comfortable, get your pen and paper as we're about to dive in to this morning's message. So today I'm speaking on part two of our love series and um, let's pray. Father, we just pray for this word. I don't feel like the things that are going to come out of my mouth are going to do any good unless they are infused with your spirit. Father, we need your words. We need to be challenged. We need to, we want to grow. We want to be like you. So, Father, I do pray for that. I pray that you would have your way. Thank you for your presence here already this morning. I just, from the moment I came in here, I just sensed that you're here, we're not alone, that you're moving around about us and you've got things to encourage us with. You want to fill us with your love. You want to let us experience that and feel that and you want us to be your ambassadors for love. So we just pray for that this morning, that you would do that in our lives. Amen. Amen. So it had come, it, it had come to the time uh, to leave the hospital. Uh, about three days before uh, Zoe was born, my daughter Zoe, and and so you know that was kind of pretty amazing. She she was kind of birthed and and <laughs> she's there. She's amazing. Anyway, so she, uh, she kind of came out and, and all that stuff happened and then we kind of recovered. We, Holly recovered. I didn't do anything. <laughs> it was stressful, okay. And, uh, and, and it was time to leave. And so um, I'd, I'd prepared the car. You know the capsule things, um, dads? What a nightmare. So I'd put the capsule in the car and I'd gone back in and, I'd, and, I, and I helped uh, Holly and, and Zoe to the car. And, and kind of like a, looking from, uh, fr- from a, a father beforehand, looking forward to what I expected it to be like, there was things that I kind of thought, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to expect that. Um, I expected that I would probably feel tired. Uh, I expected that I'd feel overwhelmed. I expected that I'd feel worried, you know, for Holly because, you know, she just put something the size of a watermelon through something the size of a grape, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) So she was a little sore and I was a bit worried about her. I was expecting I'd feel overwhelmed, that I'd expected I thought that I wouldn't know what to do, but, but I didn't expect this. So I put them in the car, I sat in the driver's seat, I turned the the key and I drove through the car park about four and a half kilometres an hour. (laughs) Came to the edge of the car park and I looked up the road, I looked left, I looked right, I looked left, I looked left or right again and I'm sure that there wasn't a single car on the road of Mount Barker before I pulled out. So slow, 
It was an automatic. Oh, it was actually Lola Bronwyn's car. It was your old VS Commodore. We just bought it so we could fit the kids in the car and all this, you know. Remember that white one? You can't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway, we bought it from you. It was automatic. Three litre. There was no whiplash on Holly's neck. There was no tyres spinning like normally I take off. Well, we did take off. It was like... And I, and I slowly got to the speed of about 55 kilometres an hour in a 60 zone. That was unusual for me. Because normally it was like, you know, pretty much those little chirpies everywhere I went. You know, Holly would be like, my neck's hurting. <laughs> You're fine. Remember our, remember our honeymoon? <laughs> we got this sports car and she's like, my neck's so sore. Because it was like a... Because I ended up BMW and every traffic lights, I'm like, it was so good. But anyway, that all of a sudden it was like really different. It was really different. My whole driving was like transformed. It was just like crazy. I I got it. Like, I finally understood why adults drive slow. I was transformed. I was transformed that moment that I held Zoe in my arms, I was transformed because I was a father. Like, I recognised for the first time that she needed me. Like I was needed. And, and and there was something about being a father, her relying on me. And it changed everything. It was it was love. It changed me. Last week. Tash spoke on the love chapter. But today I want to talk on 1 John 4, which is kind of like the other love chapter. It says this. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. It's a powerful verse and there's a lot in it. But part of it is referring to this idea that we needed God and his love was there for us. As a teenager, I can remember feeling that this idea of love was a little elusive. I didn't really feel like I understood how to connect to my friends. It was, it was something that was really difficult for me. I, I remember my friendship group hanging out. We used to quite often go and uh, see like a movie. So we'd go to the, the, the blockbuster store. Do you, you guys don't even know what that is. We didn't have Netflix. We didn't have that kind of thing. We had to go on, on our bikes to the DVD store to get a, a VHS cassette and we would choose someone's house and we would, you know, usually have to rewind it because people hadn't wound it before. You know? And we'd have to kind of then play the, the movie. We'd usually get two because it was like a deal, right? You'd get two videos... For, I can't remember what it was, like 10 bucks or something. Do you remember what it was? Something. It was something like that. And we'd go and we'd get, we'd get the, uh, the two movies and we'd usually start one around about like 7.30, 8 o'clock. Then we'd have a break and then we'd watch the other one to about 12 o'clock and then we'd go home. And like the friendship group that I used to hang around with, we... Um, they, their parents were a lot like maybe not so strict as me. So they'd grown up like kind of walking the streets more. But I didn't really, that wasn't really my experience. And so we'd, we'd go out the front of the house in between the break. And I remember this one particular night, um, the guys are kind of going, oh, we're going to go for a walk. And, and I'm trying to work out well, kind of what's happening. And they start walking down the road. And all of a sudden, someone shouts, Rock Roofs. And I didn't realise this, but everyone had grabbed handfuls of rocks and they were about to run down the street and started ditching them on the... It, apparently it was something that a lot of people did. Do people still do that? Well, what, the idea is that you run down the street and you throw rocks on all the houses and, um, and people get really angry and they chase you and apparently that's fun. <laughs> so I'm like about 100 yards behind everyone else and all these people are coming out from their houses, you know, dogs are barking, people are yelling, there's people standing with baseball bats at the door. Like, this isn't Parkside, this is Murray Bridge. You know, people are dangerous. <laughs> and I'm like thinking, heck man, I've got to start running. And so I'm running down the street, I'm not like a football player like the rest of these guys, and I'm thinking I'm going to get killed. And so I was like kind of playing catch-up and I guess that's how I felt a bit in my friendship group. I didn't quite really know what was going on. I kind of felt like I was a bit left behind and I was trying to be part of a, a group but I, could, I couldn't keep up and I felt like oh, I was always on the wrong end of 
the action. I don't know if you've ever felt like that or if you felt like that as a teenager. That you try to be accepted, you try to love, you try to care for people and they just don't really give it back. And I think, I think life is hard. I don't think it was just my experience. I think life is hard. Why is it hard? Well, I think one reason it's hard is because we're not perfect. We are not necessarily the highest achievers. We're not. We find things difficult. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if in school you were like the smartest kid? You were the best athlete. You're the best looking. Can you imagine what that would have been like? That would have been amazing. How much easier would life have been if, like, everywhere you went, you just succeeded? And you just kind of like, yep, oh, yeah, another A, you know. Oh, man, just so many girls are interested in me. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. You know, everyone wants to be my friend. Oh, yep, football team kicked the, the winning goal again this week. Can you imagine what that would be like? It's not, it's not my experience. Life is hard, I think, because partly we fail to perform. We fail to be the best. We we fail to be the smartest. We fail in a lot of areas. So I think one reason life is hard is because we, we kind of aren't good enough. And that's, and that's difficult. I think another reason why life is hard is because people don't really care about you as much as I'd like them to care about me. I mean, people kind of care, right? They, they do kind of care, but they don't... They don't care about us as, as much as maybe they care about themselves. Can you imagine what that would be like? Imagine if everywhere you went in your life... People just considered you and they thought of you more than they thought about themselves. Like, imagine what that would be like. That you, like you literally never got into a fight because the other person was just like, oh, like I'm really sorry, I, I didn't consider that you, you thought that way. Or that you'd never like feel like you lacked anything because there was always someone willing to be generous and support you with whatever you... Can you imagine? That would be good. But life's not really like that. Well, not at least not for me. I don't know. What's it like for you? Like, so people, they, they often don't really care. I mean, they kind of care, but they don't really, really care. People quite often 
are happy to give you out of what they have extra, but not so much that they would go without. Like people are quite happy. Like people have helped me a lot in my life. Quite often they're happy to, to, to give you, you know, shout your lunch. And that's, that's nice. But not so much, I don't reckon I've had anyone shout my lunch and then they went without. Right? It's kind of like human nature. We help, but we don't help so much that we will be in serious trouble. And that makes sense. And it's how it is. And that's usually what it's like. Every now and again, there are, there are situations. I remember um, my dad telling me this story, and it really impacted him. My dad used to work at the SA Health Dental Supplies. He was in the, it worked in the offices that, that would prepare the goods to go out to all the, the dental technicians. And so, like, the dentists. What am I calling it dental technicians for? It's called a dentist. Are they doctors? They're not really doctors, are they? Sorry, dentists. <laughs> And so um, he would prepare all these stuff. But, but in, in this particular time in his, in his life, he was in charge of the wages. And so uh, he, would, he would kind of sign off and make sure that the money was in the safe and it would get distributed out. But anyway, this one particular day, he went to the safe and the wages weren't there. And he was the one in charge of it and he needed to sign off on it. And when he told his manager and they went through the process... They basically thought that he'd stolen the money because there was ticks and the person who took it had been very careful to take it under dad's watch and so he was responsible for it and they basically, his manager said to dad, look, the wages are not here. You're the one that was, it was in your possession and this is a police matter. Like, we think that you've taken it and... You're going to have to be responsible for that. You're going to get charged. Look, if you give them back, we'll, we'll forget it kind of ever happened. And, you know, Dad was staring down the barrel of losing his job, having a bad reputation, maybe even getting in trouble from the police. And he was really stuck. But there was two guys at his work that were Christians. Dad hadn't really had a lot to do with them because they were kind of weird. They didn't swear, they didn't smoke, they didn't drink, they didn't tell dirty jokes. And so Dad and the rest of the office didn't really know what to do with these dudes because they were kind of nerds and unusual, you know. Telling people about Jesus and how he changed their lives. And so, you know, they tolerated them but they were... A bit weird. But anyway, these two guys, David and David, two Davids, they come up to Dad and they said, we've been, we've been thinking about the situation that you're in and we want to go thirds. We've got money that we've been saving up and we'll, we'll split you. The wages that are missing, we'll split you. And so... Dad paid a third, one David paid a third, and the other paid a third. 
That was a lot of money. That really impacted Dad. And it got him thinking, why would you do that? Why would you go without when you didn't need to? But that's unusual. 99% of people don't do that. 99% of people that you probably come across in your life put themselves first. Right? Is that fair? Most people. So if 99% of people, that's your experience, what's the experience of the 99% of people that you come across with you? What's the chances that you care a little less for others than you care to admit? This message is, this message is a, I think it's a really important message, but it's really tough. Like it's a really hard sell to stand up here and say that to all of you lot. Like it's a, it's a tough sell to, to try and convince you of something. I, in my opinion, the world, in my opinion, everything in this world is trying to convince you that you are good enough. That right now in your life, if you could measure all the stuff you've done, that you're good enough to go to heaven. And I'm up here saying that maybe you're not. That's un- that's unpopular. Like that's a tough that's a tough thing to say. I think everything in this world is trying to convince people that they should be more concerned about their failure to perform. When we think about not being perfect and how much it upsets us, what I think about mostly is my terrible spelling skills and that when I run, I kind of look like I have dislocated hips. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of true. Holy <laughs> I can run. I just look weird. And so, like, the, that's the stuff I got bullied about in school, right? Is, like, that I couldn't spell, that I was kind of dumb, that I had a big nose, that I ran like an idiot, right? And I think the world's trying to convince us that that's what we should be worried about. And I'm here trying to convince you that maybe... You shouldn't be worried about your failure to perform. Maybe what we should be worried about is our failure to love.
I'm up here trying to say that maybe that's all that actually matters and maybe at the end of the end days when we have to face our judgment that that's the only thing we're going to be judged on. Matthew 25, 31 says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. You know, I... I don't think that we need Jesus because we failed to perform. I think we need Jesus because we failed to love. Because that's a big ask. To love like that. It's like, man. I need Jesus. I need to I need to fall on my knees for his grace because if I'm measured on that, I'm going with the goats, you know what I'm saying? So reading this, you know, if we if we're looking at this subject of love and we're trying to explore what it is. Reading that verse, maybe it gives us some kind of clarity because it seems that Jesus is linking this idea of love with deeds. 
you know, that good deeds equals love. And in a sense, when I, when I think about this idea and this subject of, of wanting to love, I'm tempted to think, okay, well, it doesn't seem so hard because all I've got to do is just like feed people, visit people, and then that's like a tick, right? It's like I get the thumbs up from God and so it doesn't really, it kind of seems hard but maybe, maybe there's hope for me. Maybe there's hope for you guys that you're not necessarily going to be bundled up with all the goats and then sent to hell, right? <laughs> right? Maybe there's hope if we can just kind of like do enough kind of good things. But as I was kind of looking at this, I thought, well, hang on, it's actually even, it's even harder than it seems, right? Because I've noticed something being married for like 20 years. Where's my wife? There she is. 20 years, right? I've noticed a few things. And that is that if I, not all good deeds are equal, okay? That if I buy her a bunch of flowers because uh, she's angry at me, I get a different response than if I buy flowers just because. <laughs> it's like if I'm just driving home and think, well, just going to get her some flowers because I'm thinking of her and I love her. And I buy her flowers. I get, a, I get a certain kind of like response. But if I've been like selfish, self-centered, haven't thought of her very much and busy and then kind of or I'm in trouble, you know, and I buy her flowers to kind of like appease her, it doesn't feel the same. I kind of get a different – it's like if, if I buy her birthday present and give it to, to her two days early, I get a slightly different response than if I give it to her two days late. <laughs> but it's the same thing. So I've noticed this, right? Some of you girls are thinking, you're thick, like, of course. <laughs> but I've noticed there's a different response. It could be exactly the same present. And so this deed stuff is it's it's tricky, right? It's kind of it's weird. So what I've what I've noticed is this. This is what I think is going on. Only things done when there's nothing in it for us matter. Only good things done when there's nothing in it for us kind of counts. So all these good things that I've done, that when I was like reading that verse from Matthew and I was talking about, you know, the sheep and the goats and, and all those things that you, you can do for people to hopefully get you kind of into heaven and the thumbs up from Jesus, it's kind of like, well, oh, yeah, I'm thinking, well, I haven't actually done that many bad things. I, I have kind of like, you know, given people meals every time now and then. I've, I've visited people. I've kind of given my wife flowers and, you know, different times. I've done some, I've done some good stuff. You know, guys, you're looking at me so judgy. 
know, like, give me a break. Right? And so I kind of think, yeah, okay, well, that, that seesaw balancing thing, you know, if it's like if I think about all the good things versus the bad things, you know, maybe, maybe there's hope for me. But then I think, well, it's actually more complex than that because all those things that I did and I got a reward, they don't really count as love. Love is actually doing something and expecting nothing. Only things done when there was nothing in it for us matter. All, good, all those good things I've done aren't really love unless I was hope, unless I was all those good things I've done aren't really love unless I wasn't hoping for a reward. That's really backwards. <laughs> It's, it's like, how do, you, how do you tell if it's love? Here's a, here's a little test you can test yourself with. If you do something kind of really hard, really nice, you go without for someone else, really good, and no one notices, no one even notices that you did it, no one says thank you, and you don't get mad, maybe that's love. If you do something really nice and really hard and really good and go without for someone else, no one says thank you and no one notices and you don't even notice that no one notices, then you're probably on the right track. Because if you notice that you did this good, loving thing and you're kind of mad that you didn't get out of it what you wanted, probably isn't love. What hope is there for us? If that's the only thing in the end of the day that matters, have I ever actually loved? What's my point that I was making before? We, we don't need Jesus because we fail to perform. We need Jesus because we fail to love. I'm going to finish with this. If I have the keyboard up. At the start I said something about standing in the operating theatre, in the delivery theatre. It's always just been born and something transformed me. It transformed me. Holding Zoe in my heart arms transformed me because she needed me and I became a father in that moment I became a father and I recognised that she had no hope outside of me outside of us as parents that if we just left her on the ground she couldn't help herself she needed sustenance from Holly's very own body she needed what we had to offer. I rose to the occasion. Like I really responded. I recognised that she needed me and I did something about it and it transformed me. It transformed my driving. It transformed the way I thought. And I really do think I, for the first time I started to actually do things out of love. Not because 
I felt like I, I wanted a reward or anything like that, but just because. I just did things for Zoe because I wanted to. And I rose to that occasion. And I guess the, the big thing I'm wanting to get out of this morning, the big point that I want to really sink into my heart and sink into your heart is that the minute we realise that we need God, He rises to the occasion. Well, in fact, the Bible says that before we even knew Him, He died for us. That He rose to the occasion of Father before we even needed, before we even realised we needed Him. He he more than rose to the occasion. He rose up on a on a blood-stained cross with nails through his hands and he hung there because we have not a clue about love. We've got not a clue. And he died for us out of love. He died for love. He died for our lack of it. And he was buried in the ground and he took all of our lack and our shame and our pain and our hurt and everything that we've got wrong and everything that we should have got right. And he took it into that grave and he buried it in that deep, dark place and he wiped it off of our body and gave us a clean slate. And now in heaven, instead of having fear of being like, am I a sheep? Am I a goat? What's the judgment call going to say? We are in Christ. It's like, can you believe it? It's so, it's too good to be true. But it is true. And I pray and believe that as you stand in God's presence in a minute, as you worship him, you'll sense his love that will affirm that in your heart, that we deserve nothing, but he's placed it on us. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And the greatest news is that if you allow that love in, it will transform you. We become like him. If we accept that, if we recognise that we need it, we recognise that we're hopeless without it, and we actually say, Jesus, I accept your death on the cross for me. Fill me with your love. I want to be an ambassador for love. I want to be like you. He fills us up and he enables us to do it, what we can't do on our own. How amazing. Would you like to stand with me, church? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your love. When we didn't have a clue about love, you sent your son to die on the cross. Thank you for 1 John 4 that explains that if anyone loves, if anyone truly loves, it's only possible through you. That God is love. Father, we just pray this morning that you would give us a fresh revelation of this. That you would breathe into our hearts the truth of how much you care for us. Father, we pray that you would grace us with your love. That when I, when I said imagine, just imagine what it would be like if 
everyone in this world actually cared a little less about themselves. Father, I pray that us in this church would be like that. You would transform us, Father, to be like Jesus. That it would open the eyes of the world like the Davids, the two Davids that changed my dad's life when they saw true love for the first time. Father, let us be a church like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's let's worship. How good was the message this morning? We really hope it was able to resonate with you. If it did, feel free to head to our website at life.house, head to the My Response tab and tell us all about it. We're so happy that you're able to join us online today. We do miss you. We hope you are here in person next time. But next week, Sunday at 10am, we hope to see your smiling faces here. Until then, see ya.